Hey everyone, welcome to Leaving a Legacy. This is Matthew Matrixter, and this is just a quick PSA so we can refer back to it later on for reference. Pat, Jerry, and I have decided to try something, and the community support has been both amazing and inspiring. So here it is. We want your comments. I cleaned out my collection recently, and I had a bunch that were really useless from doing sealed events and drafts. We want to exchange as many as possible and be able to make a 50-50 donation. Half to MTGCast to help support all the content that they provide, and the other half to the Wounded Warrior Project for all that they provide as well. Of course, there are random prize drawings also. So far, there are playmats which include multiple SCG Polar Punch playmats, multiple Angel of Jubilation playmats from GPDC, multiple Dark Confidant playmats from GP Boston, and an entire Brainstorm package which includes the mat, the deck box, and the sleeves from GP New Jersey. There's also more to come. But so for the logistics. If you're in the New England area, you can hit us up, of course. But we don't want anyone left out. So what can you do? Well, if you open a pack of cards and you don't want the commons and uncommons, stick them in a stamped envelope and mail them to Leaving a Legacy, P.O. Box 41, Oxford, Massachusetts, 01540. If you want to send more but the postage is prohibitive, I'm looking at you, New Zealand. I get that, too. We don't want anyone left out. And we don't want to limit people either. Feel free to bulk them out where you are, and you can mail whatever proceeds you deem appropriate to the same P.O. box. You can also reach us at leavingalegacymtg at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter with Adrian at Mathematrixer, Jerry at JMEE3RD, and Pat at PatUgolo, that's at P-A-T-E-U-G-L-O-W. You can also find us on the Facebook group. But without further ado, on with the show. Hey guys, you're listening to Leaving a Legacy. You don't right. have to scoop to anyone. Right. Right. Even it, your mom, you know, when she's <laughs> going to pop eight and you're going to pop her out, man. <laughs> So we're going. <laughs> we moved into the balls deep portion. Of that. <laughs> There's some things you just can't buy in Vermont, like, like Mex- Mexican food. You can't buy Mexican. Food. <laughs> teenage mutant puka turtles. Teenage mutant puka turtles. Teenage mutant puka turtles. Pukas in a half shell. Puka power. <laughs> what is up, everyone? Flashbacks. Is, <laughs> flashbacks. Calling it out. 80s theme songs. If everyone at home is wondering why I'm a crazy man, it's because we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, but first, to get these regular Jobins out of the way, I'm joined, as always, by Adrian and Patrick. Say hello, guys. What's up, guys? Just a little bit of delay there. It's okay. Quick on the uptake. <laughs> Don't worry. I might edit that out. <laughs> That's why we're Jobins. That's why we're Jobins. And the real meat of the matter, the star himself, the one, the only, Eric Freytag. How you doing? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on the show today. Oh, of course. Thanks for uh, taking time out of uh, your busy schedule. Come uh, see what's uh, blah, see us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my pleasure, man. It's easy. It's easy to set aside time to talk about magic cards, right? <laughs> Hell yeah, <laughs> Eric. Eric, where, where are you from? Uh, so I live in Oakland, California, right now. Yeah, I've been here for about eight years. Love this town. It's good. And where were you from before that? 
Uh, before that, I lived in Seattle. That's kind of where I grew up. Um, yeah, ever since like uh, elementary school, lived up there in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Um, but yeah, love it down here. Gotta love the weather a little bit more. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I, I was actually I was picking up the accent. Your voice sounds awesome. You, you guys don't swear over there like we do over here, do you? <laughs> you know, I I would I, I some of us do. I do, and uh, I I don't know. Depending on the crowd I'm around, sometimes I feel kind of bad about it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, I understand that. I understand that. Well. Um, it's not encouraged, but it's not discouraged. I, I label this explicit, so feel comfortable. Cool, yeah, that's fair enough. Mitch and I did the same thing, just because we knew we'd drop the ac- accidental F-bomb now and again, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it got too awkward for me editing it out. <laughs> You've got to make the lawyers happy, and it all works out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, So, so I have, I have. Uh, if you could do me a favor, Eric, I, I am absolutely, completely oblivious to Puka Trade. I've heard about it. I haven't used it. I recently set up an account because Pat was telling me about it. And if you can explain it to me, what is it? Yeah, you got it. No problem. I'll, uh, I'll give you the rundown. I kind of start from the beginning here. Uh, basically, we are a trading website uh, exclusively for Magic the Gathering cards. Um, and uh, on Puka Trade, we do trading a little different. Uh, in a normal uh, trading scenario, you basically need two people with congruent wants and needs that get together in the same time, in the same location, uh, and sort of like haggle or negotiate for the best deal, uh, and then exchange cards with one another or walk away frustrated. Okay. <laughs> um, on Puka Trade, we do things a little bit differently, where we say, look, like we, if you, if you just make your have list, uh, we can connect you with other people who want the cards you have. Mm-hmm. So once you make your have list, you can just send cards out to people who want them. And our feeling is that, look, like all these cards have an objective value, you know. We're, there is a fair trade value for each of these cards. And, um, uh, you know, if we just kind of uh, show those values to people, we can say, look, anytime you send a card on Puka Trade, you'll always get full value for the cards that you send. So it kind of like removes the haggling and the negotiation. And we say, look, you get trade credits equivalent to the value of the cards you send. And we call those Puka Points. And once you have Puka points, uh, people can see cards on your want list, and they'll send you cards just like you did for those other folks. Okay. Uh, so it's like a very like streamlined, efficient, um, very like gift-oriented way of exchanging cards. And uh, yeah, we've, we launched it uh, two or three years ago, and just from the beginning have been met with incredible response from the community. Uh, it's such an efficient, enjoyable way to trade that it, it's really just kind of taken off. So one of the other things I recently heard was that you integrated a way to exchange the cards over into MTGO? Yeah, that's that's what we're working on right now, actually. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's super exciting stuff. Uh, we're going to be the first trading platform that allows people to exchange paper cards for digital and vice versa. Um, yeah, we hope to launch that in uh, probably the fall, early or late fall, depending on how things go. Uh, anytime you're building new technology that's never been built before, there's mm-hmm. always a little bit of uncertainty as to when exactly it'll be done and ready. But we've always said, look, it's done when it's done. And, uh, you know, we, rather than have an arbitrary deadline that we feel like we have to meet, we just want to make sure the product's right before we put it out there. Right, right. Put out the best product when it's ready, not put it out when it's ready, or not put it out on time even if it's not ready. Yeah, exactly. That's always been our philosophy, and I think it's gotten us pretty far. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 
Yeah, so yeah, it's super exciting stuff. There's a bunch of bunch of cool features coming up. Um, but uh, yeah, I think digital to paper will be really exciting. In a way, it's really crazy that there's two different types of Magic player. You know, there's it's almost like this two different classification or, or communities of of Magic player when we're all really playing the same game. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I I feel like there's digital players and there's paper players, and there's not really all that many people out there who do do both. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's really cool. I think this will be a really cool way to kind of um, bring the entire community under one umbrella and let people kind of go back and forth between the two games. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome. Uh, I've listened to you a lot, and you, you've definitely been around the, around the podcast block. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you kind of uh, laid out the outlines. I think you were on, like, Brainstorm Brewery, Heavy Meta, uh, The A-Team. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably other ones that I haven't even heard of. Yet, now, now you get to sink down to our level. Yes. <laughs> so I think I think a lot of us have heard the the general outline of, of Buka Trade and know exactly what it's about. But get ready for the nitty gritty. We're gonna ask the hard hitting questions here in the bowels of the podcasting world. <laughs> oh, All right, bring it on. Whatever you got there. <laughs> Um, so, so Patrick, I think though, Patrick, you trade on the site, right? Like, didn't it help I, you get into Legacy? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. That's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on here. I've been talking about you guys a lot. Um, I started playing again. I, I used to play back in the day, back in like Urza's block was when I cut off. Uh, that's when I left for college, and uh, I just picked up MTG again about a year and a half ago, right around when, when uh, Board of the Gods got released. Mm. Played a lot of Standard, was playing a lot of Limited. And uh, it got to the point where after my second son was born, I just didn't have a lot of time to get down to the shop every week, keep trading, like, all the time, like, trying to stay current with what the metagame was. And so I just sort of fell off for a few months and um, started listening to uh, the Leaving a Legacy podcast and thought Legacy was really cool. And I'm like, you know, I have all these standard staples. I have some of these older cards I'm not using. Um, and I had heard you on, I think it was um, Yo MTG Taps. Oh, yeah, that's a yeah, yeah, it was really great, and it was, I was like, man, this site is actually kind of sweet, so I checked it out, and I mean, I've, I'm getting just over 800 trades now, like, I built my whole modern deck through Puka Trade, I built my whole, uh, two legacy decks through Puka Trade, um, and it, it, honestly, if it wasn't for Puka Trade, um, I probably wouldn't be playing any Magic right now, because I, I think I would have lost so much value trying to either sell them to, to local game stores, or, or you know, trying to figure out how to how to get them traded one way or another. I don't think I'd be able to pay for my legacy habit, you know, to make these decks. So it's actually been a really like a godsend for me. It's been absolutely phenomenal, and I I love the site and really happy to have you on. Oh man, that's so cool to hear. I love that. I almost got shivers from that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool because you're right. You know, like legacy these eternal formats are really like prohibitive from a financial standpoint a lot. But uh, mm-hmm. what what you realize that is that if you're not getting hit with these like thirty or fifty percent margins every time you're trying to sell your cards to a dealer to rebuy new ones, like if you're actually just getting fair trade value across the board, like all of a sudden it's a lot easier, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. It was amazing. It was. It was really cool because I, you know, again, playing standard, like, I would sell a lot of my cards back, and, like, you know, it's not so bad, but it, it, you're certainly losing 50% of your equity at least every time you trade your cards, and getting full face value for them was just, was an amazing experience, and um, I've had lots of great people on Puka Trade that I've met, and uh, you just have an awesome community on there, and I just wanted to, you know, tip my hat to you guys. I think it's fantastic. Nice, man. That's so cool to hear. Yeah, thanks so much for that feedback. Of course. So you guys recently had a, a successful Indiegogo campaign, um, and uh, I heard a lot about you guys had a great party at GP Vegas, all that. How was that? 
Oh, man, it was awesome. Yeah, it was so cool. Everyone had such a good time, you know. I, I think in some ways it feels like um, it's surprising that there's not more of those kind of social events when you have, you know, 10,000 uh, Magic players uh, in mm-hmm. one town, you know. You'd think there'd be more kind of parties and stuff like that because, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking, you know, if you set me down next to another Magic player anywhere in the world, like, I could talk to that person for at least two hours and probably two years. Yeah, yep, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, like, I... I, I, it felt so good to kind of have this social event and, you know, see everybody kind of get together and uh, just have a good time and maybe realize, man, we want to do a lot more of that stuff. Uh, I think, um, we, you know, when we have, you know, a few Puka Trade folks uh, um, at GPs in the future, we're going to try to keep it going, have the Puka party, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so do you guys keep track of, like, um, you know, what kind of cards you're trading on? I know I see, like, I follow your Twitter, and uh, when you have high-value cards come through, you'll put them up there. You always, I always see Tarmogoyf being traded and, and all kinds of really great cards like that. Um, do you guys keep track of what formats are being traded most? I mean, have you seen, like, an increase um, right now with Modern being uh, kind of in season in the Pro Tour? Do you see an increase in those cards? Do you see – have you seen an increase in time as far as Legacy getting traded? Has, have you guys tracked those metrics at all? Yeah, definitely. The answer is that everything is being traded more just across the board, like a ton of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we had we had a couple few milestones that really kind of boosted uh, both vintage and legacy cards recently. Mm-hmm. Um, during the Indiegogo project that you just mentioned, uh, the first Black Lotus got traded on the site, which Ooh, was awesome. a big deal. Yeah, I know. It really kind of broke the seal, and then, like, instantly you started seeing, like, all these other moxes flying around and all this crazy old stuff, like tabernacles and caracuses, of course, legacy tools, and, like, yep. man, yeah, it, it just, all of a sudden, there was, like, that was sort of a moment, I really feel like. It was really a milestone where people said, okay, this is legit, legit. this is real. Yeah. Like, I can actually trade up to a Lotus if I hustle and, like, you know, send out a bunch of cards. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that did incredible things just across the board. And we saw this uh, definitely an uptick in legacy stuff, but uh, mm-hmm. but even in modern standard commander, just all of it, you know? Yeah, yeah that's, that's such a huge deal because the legacy community and especially the vintage community, just in the matter that they're smaller communities, they're much closer, tightly knit. So... Once you kind of get the trust factor down when someone in the community has the experience and can point to it and say, hey, I had a really good experience on this program, nothing went wrong, and even though I was dealing with a really big ticket item, uh, it went smooth as butter and I had a great experience, then the rest of the community is like, oh, okay, this is actually something real, this is something I should really pay attention to. So that's a huge, awesome deal. Yeah, that's totally true. I think, you know, every trade reinforces the next one, you know, and yeah. um, another milestone we just hit is our millionth trade. Like, that's a, that was wow. so, I know, <laughs> yeah. I remember just feeling blown away by that. It's like, I can't even really fathom how many magic cards that is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's amazing. I guess you guys got 1.3 million trades. I'm curious, how many users are there? Oh, right now we have 75,000. Oh, okay, wow. Yeah, so there's 75,000 so, people trading on the site. Yeah, we've right after we hit the the million trade milestone, I blinked and all of a sudden it was like 1.3 million. So we're cruising <laughs> for like the second, you know. Um, I awesome. tallied up the total value of the cards, like all the cards traded on the site. Like if you if they you know the sheer dollar value of them all, and it was like over five million dollars. Wow, that's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It's so it's just so cool to picture all those cards flying around there. It's just like a ton of commerce, like a ton of people kind of getting cards that they wouldn't necessarily have a- access to if they just popped down to their local game store to try to trade, you know? Oh, yeah, totally, totally. I mean, I got, you know, I was certainly the big ticket items coming from Puka Trade for me was, you know, I got all four of my force of wills for my legacy deck through Puka Trade, 
and it was sweet. Like, I didn't have to, you know, shell out a bunch of money for them. Like, I just traded cards I wasn't using, and they all came in in great condition, and um, it was just a really good experience for sure. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I was looking. We actually published, like, a Top Trades article on our blog every month. Yeah, I'd encourage anyone to go check it out. It's pretty cool to see the stuff that's flying around, but there was 29 Force of Wills traded last month. It's just kind of cool. You know, there's, like, 116 Tarmogoyfs. It's just really (laughs) crazy stuff. (laughs) That's crazy, because I'm sure you guys have so much just, uh, like, data, valuable data information about the overall magic market that a lot of other either firms either don't have available to them or won't make available to the general public. So I think that's really cool that you guys are kind of uh, putting that information out there so people can maybe see trends and how the magic market's evolving. So Yeah, yeah we've always thought that uh, that kind of community trending stuff is uh, is actually really cool. And if you go to uh, pukatrade.com slash, I think it's slash trends, uh Oh, sorry, it's slash cards slash top trades. You can actually see, uh, we have it all broken down, like the most popular cards, um, you know, in the last 24 hours, the last seven days, stuff that just traded. I'm actually looking at it right now, and it's cool to see, like, two foil gristle brands that just got completed <laughs> two seconds ago. Uh, that is a podcast favorite right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, nah, it's pretty Actually, you know what was another part? Yeah, I noticed that you guys do a lot of content on there, too, so it's not just, not just a trading website. You guys have some great content, and there was actually one that was posted, I think, today about identifying counterfeit magic cards, which I think is really cool because on this trading website, you know, you don't know where your sources are coming from, and I certainly go into all my tr- trades with a lot of confidence in my in my the people I'm trading with, but it's cool that you guys are also backing us up on, you know, how to look at a counterfeit card, and you have some kind of assurance, like if, if someone has a card they think is counterfeit, they can send it to you? Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely, absolutely. Um, yeah, basically we have kind of a protection program in place. Um, so, yeah, basically we, we outline the three, the three most, most accessible and easy tests, uh, to execute. And that's kind of, um, what we referenced in the blog today. It's really cool. Anyone who's curious about counterfeit should definitely check it out. But there's really three incredibly easy tests to perform. Um, and it doesn't involve like bending the cards or ripping them. You know, you hear about these bend tests or the rip test. I mean, what is less <laughs> useful than the rip test? You know? Yeah, the easiest <laughs> and most useless test. Yeah, rip it in half. News, doesn't have a blue line in the real. The bad news is I ripped it in half. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we go over a couple of different things you can do. Like, um, there's the light test, which I think is the most simple and accessible test. And that's basically if you just get like a little pocket LED flashlight and you grab uh, a magic card and hold it face down right up to the face of the light uh, and shine the light through, it has a very particular look through it. I mean, the weight of the card, like the card stock that they use and the type of ink that they use allows a very specific amount of light through. And uh, I, I feel like the light test actually will catch uh, 90 to 95% of the counterfeits out there. Um, and uh, with that one test alone, it's so simple and so easy to perform. Uh, I think it can give you a ton of, of info about the card that you got. And then beyond that, I go a little bit deeper into, like, the rosette test, which is basically where you get a jeweler's loop or a magnifying glass, and you look at the specific dot matrix of uh, the printing printing job on the card, which can tell you quite a bit as well. Um, and then there, uh, there's a blacklight test as well. For uh, those of you who uh, lived through the 70s out there, you got a black light line around. <laughs> Unless it's alternate fourth edition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? I know. Yeah, it's weird. The, the black light test is probably, of the three that I touch in the blog, um, it's it's probably the most complicated in because different editions look different under a black light. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, my understanding is that they used whatever chemical is in the ink that makes them phosphoresce uh, is was used less back in the day. So as a general rule of thumb, older cards will will glow less, uh, whereas newer cards glow more or glow differently. So really, the only thing to really know about the blacklight test is that when, when you're comparing a card that might be fake against, uh, you, you know, be sure and compare it to two or more versions of that card that you know are real. And if you can't get access to the exact same cards, at least be comparing them to cards of the same edition. Right. Uh, but you'll see, you know, you hold those cards under the black light in a dark room, and sure enough, they will glow differently. Um, you can even kind of use that by that, because if you, uh, probably the biggest example was the most recent Commander uh, decks, they 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 used a lot heavier chemical on those sets. So if you actually feel one of those cards and compare it to like a, a card straight out of a pack from any other set, it almost feels like it has like an extra layer of like shellac on it. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And they did something like that with Modern Masters too, as well. Where those yeah. cards are totally different. Yeah. We're already we're already getting people send, sending these in, being like, "Oh my god, I got a fake! It's definitely not real." And like, <laughs> no, that's actually just how they did it for Modern Masters two for some fucking reason. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, yeah. Uh, when I got my Force Wheels in, I bent every single one. That was the only way. I knew <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you you gave the Force Wheels the bend test. Dude. I did. I did. It was. They all, hey, they were all fine, so... Uh, Pat needed to make sure that they were going to counter those spells. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's this ongoing joke around the office, like, like when is a card really, truly fake? You know, like, yeah. how many people does it have to fool before it's real? <laughs> oh, man. That's true, it's because if the fake is real enough, there's no difference from the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but, it, yeah, it's been kind of cool to, you know, we, we've had a few come through, and I, I, you asked me this question before, but uh, yeah, we, we of course have a, a trade guarantee, so if, if anyone's ever concerned about re- receiving a fake magic card on the site, uh, you can actually just mail it into us, and we'll run it through all the tests, and, you know, find out if it's real or fake, and if it's real, we'll send it back to you, um, and, uh, you know, if it's not, we'll of course refund you, and, you know, depending on how egregious the fake is, we'll probably ban the person that sent it to you as well. Mm. Yeah, if they send, like, a uh, computer printout glued onto a basic land. Oh, man, yeah. We, we've seen a couple of those. It's always kind of a joke. I saw this one that was, like, this lion's eye diamond that honestly looked like it was printed on, like, laminate. <laughs> yeah, who knows? What is the most egregious fake you have ever seen? Oh, it was definitely that lion's eye diamond. That lion's eye? Yeah, you pull it out and you're like, this is like made of ceramic. <laughs> it's shattered. It's totally ridiculous. <laughs> so, so besides like, besides, um, you know, uh, fakes, you know, uh, counterfeits, which doesn't seem like it's a big problem, uh, do you have any other hangups you find that tr- you traders have when they're trying to trade legacy cards? No, not too much. I mean, you know, sometimes it might take a little while if there's a card that's, uh, you know, incredibly rare. Maybe it's mm-hmm. not something that's that common in too many people's collections. Um, you know, sometimes you might have to wait a little while, but, uh, you know, with a little patience and uh, um, even, like, a little hustle on social media, um, it's usually not too hard to get stuff. I mean, I've built two legacy decks off this as well. Um, I got my whole playset of uh, of Gaia's Cradles from it, which is cool. Nice. Uh, yeah, one of the de- my legacy decks is Elves. Um, yeah, my, my Twitter feed is constantly blowing up with people looking for Puka trades. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not too tough, you know. Um 
yeah, I think there's, it's still like some of the older formats might, might require a little more patience, whereas like if you're building modern, when you put a modern deck list on your want list, it's like you blink, you know, you, you get up to grab some water and you come back and your entire deck is being mailed to you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's awesome. If I've yeah. ever tried to get something that was in standard or modern, it, it's like immediately snapped up. It's, it's just, it's super sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you also offer the ability to buy points through the website. Do you ever find people um, buying points for the sole purpose of it's easier to come across certain cards on Puka Trade than it is otherwise? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's tons of people who have crafted their want list, you know, and they, that's like kind of where they're organizing their collection, and that's how cards are kind of flowing in and out of their collection. So um, I think for a lot of people, it's way easier to just buy Puka points than to go... Uh, you know, bargain hunting at uh, multiple online retailers and, you know, assemble multiple shopping carts with the best deal or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, I will, you know, if I just buy the points, then the cards get sent to me and it's, you know, it's pretty easy. Uh, we've definitely heard that feedback as well. That actually, I didn't realize that. that I have a question then. If, if I can put currency into Puka points, can I get currency back out from Puka points? No, no, we don't do that. And one of the reasons for it is that we give so many Puka points away. Uh, we have all sorts oh, okay. of... okay. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, we have all sorts of different promotions. I mean, we um, we give 700 of them, like $7 worth, to everyone just for signing up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we like the idea of sort of paying it forward so you, maybe you could receive a couple cards on the site to figure out how it all works before mm-hmm. you, you know, have to you know, take that, that first initial jump and mail a card out. Um, so, so how is it? Just out of how's it, how is the value of a card assessed? Like, like I have uh, maybe I have a force of will that's heavily played. Um, how how would it be? How would it would it just be assessed between the two parties that want to trade for it? Um, right. So uh, one thing to note is that right now, for the next few months here, um, only near mint cards can be traded on the site. Um, so there's there's not necessarily like. A, a near mint value and a heavily played value. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen some people kind of like negotiate stuff. We, of course, we have like a personal messaging system in the site, so we've seen people kind of negotiate stuff and send points back and forth to uh, to account for condition and whatnot. But right now, um, we just allow near mint. Um, oh, and uh, are you are you are you allowed to gift points from one person to another? Yeah, definitely. That's actually one of our pro features at the uh, Uncommon tier. And um, yeah, I think some of the, your listeners may be wondering, well, how what is how does this all work? How does it make money? You know, we talked about the idea of purchasing Puka points, which is one way that the site uh, finances itself. But the other is um, like a premium subscription membership program. Okay. And basically, we have two tiers: uh, Uncommon and Rare. Um, uncommon is five dollars a month or forty-five dollars a year. Uh, and rare is ten dollars a month or ninety dollars a year. So we give you like a three month discount if you sign up for the year. Okay. And basically, um, yeah, they have kind of advanced features in it. We like to think of the uncommon tier as being um, kind of like additional advanced uh, tools that the new user or the new members might not need or even want. And kind of a, it, the uncommon tier honestly serves a couple purposes. We almost there is some things about Puka Trade that are actually a little bit complicated, and we don't really want to confuse new folks by saying, "Hey, guess what? You have the ability to send points." And uh, you know, <laughs> oh, let me send all my points to this guy. He seems right. Good. <laughs> I know. Yeah, <laughs> that, 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 it makes more sense than why you can't get the points back out as cash because you could just set up like seventy accounts and then extract it all to one account. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely something we've had to deal with. Even just people creating multiple accounts specifically for multiple invite bonuses. But mm-hmm. now well, we have 
basically um, behavior tracking software to anticipate when people are doing this. And, you know, we're looking at things like their IP address and, nice. you know, unique combinations of their browser and, um, and stuff like that to identify basically people who are uh, you know, violating the rules for, for the purposes of taking Puka points and stuff. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, the short of it is that, um, yeah, for five or ten bucks a month, you can help, uh, you know, finance the site and finance new development. We unlock new little features like that for you. Um, I can't yeah. wait, uh, for the, cause you are planning on implementing the, uh, different, uh, play conditions of cards in the near, in the near future, right? Yeah, definitely. That was, um, one of the five features we were trying to raise money, uh, to finance through that Indiegogo project that you mentioned before, which was successful. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so we've, we've touched on Magic Online a little bit, and then Condition was in there as well. And, uh, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of the designs that, uh, the design team is sending through, um, that are, you know, that we're starting to break ground on from a development standpoint, and they look amazing. It's gonna be so slick, and, uh, yeah, pretty soon, like, you'll be able to trade cards of all different condition, and, uh, we'll have, um, sort of like this automatic value, um, you know, decrease for cards that are not near mint. Um, but yeah, that that's what I really uh, can't wait for because there has been many times where I've tried, um, you know, sending a card, and I'm also very harsh on my own collection too. Where I'll go, I'm like, oh, I have that card, I can send it and get points, and then I pull it out of my binder, I'm like, eh, it's not quite near mint, it's close, but I don't feel comfortable, so I'm just not going to send it. Yeah. So I can't wait until there's the condition feature because especially with legacy cards, which is what the bulk of my collection is, it's it's very difficult. The older a card is, the more difficult it is to have it in near mint, especially if it's one of those like commons or uncommons that are super hard to find now because no one ever puts them in binders, but are also no one really ever took care of them in the first place either. Yeah, that's definitely true. I completely agree. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, we're going to be handling it kind of as a user preference. So uh, basically from your trade preference pane, you'll be able to say, uh, yeah, generally I accept cards that are either near mint or slightly played, but I don't want anything MP or HP. Um, mm-hmm. And then that will sort of be the, your automatic setting for cards that enter your want list, that you add to your want list. But then, of course, you'll have full granular control where you're like, okay, normally I accept near mint, but for the Savannah I need, I'm down to get, like, moderately played. You'll be able to set that from your from your have list for each individual card. Nice. That's awesome. And there's been, yeah. there's been quite a few workarounds I've seen, too, where, you know, I I don't mind taking, you know, moderately played cards, lately played cards, you know, especially with Legacy because, again, there's not as much near mint stuff out there. And so I, I've seen a lot of users who will change, like, you, either their username to let you know that they're okay with that stuff, or they'll put it in their profile. So there's been a, quite a few workarounds. The community's been pretty on point with that stuff to sort of, you know, sort of lead that charge and make sure they're getting the cards that they want and stuff. Yeah, totally, yeah. I think that was something the personal messaging really helps out with, where if you yep. see someone wanting a card that you have, it's really easy to just shoot them a message and be like, hey, I have this, it's a little nicked here, I'm not sure if it's fully near mid, do you want it still? And, you know, there's there's kind of that back and forth that can happen, which helps. Yep. Yep. And so you mentioned there's going to be kind of an automatic uh, step-down uh, program for the cards. Um, so I know the basic uh, cards, it's based off of TCG Mid. At least that's what it was the last time I, I got caught up to speed with Puka Trade. Actually, um, yeah, we don't, we don't really rely on those guys. Um, we have oh, okay. found, yeah, we have found that there have been, um, kind of some moments where, um, there have been market manipulators inside TCG Player that are sort of like artificially inflating the value of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, at, at the end, um, I, I think that they do good work and provide like good level of value for a lot of stuff, but we ultimately felt like we kind of had to do our own thing. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so we we do consider uh, sources like multiple different sources throughout um, the magic online retail sphere, but we kind of have our own special sauce that's looking at internal supply and demand within Puka Trade. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that kind of led into what my question was is as far as the different uh, play conditions. Are you doing it based off of kind of like a percentage off? Is it like because I feel the difference in percentage points between a slightly played underground C and a near mint underground C is a lot different between a slightly played standard card and a near mint standard card. Hmm, that's interesting. So, so tell me, would you say that if you said like a slightly pay, played underground C would have like a fifteen percent discredit? discount, um, would that not hold true for, like, Zergo Helm Smasher? <laughs> yeah. So, when you, especially especially dual lands, the reason why I use Underground Sea is because dual lands are some of the ones that uh, epitomize it the most, is with a lot of the legacy cards, not only are you competing with other players for those cards, you're also competing with actual collectors for those cards. And because of that, uh, downgrading condition is a much bigger deal for, you know, a Tabernacle, an Underground Sea, a Moat, some of these more high-end legacy cards than it is for a standard card. A standard player doesn't really care about the condition of his cards as long as he can still win games with it, whereas someone buying a uh, Legends card or something else that's a big ticket price, they're going to pay a lot closer attention to the actual condition of the card because of the collectability of it. I think yeah. it's also in the expected depreciation. True. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, because, like, if... I think the it's almost like it's kind of a bigger deal when the card is more valuable. You know, like, 15% mm-hmm. off a $300 card is a lot of money, you know? That's right. 40, 45 bucks off. Like that's, exactly. You know, that's not a small amount. Um, that could be the difference between a profit and loss if someone was trying to sell the card to, to make money or, or whatever. But if you think of, just continue with the example of Zergo Helm Smasher, that's a card that's worth a buck. So 15% off that guy, you know, it's still 15% of his value, but it's just that nobody's going to make a huge stink over 15 cents. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So for me, it's almost like the percentage... The percentage formula holds true. It's just that the proportions are bigger. There's like a larger dollar discount that's happening. Um, true. I, I definitely see your point there. Um, it's just I've had experience also with selling to dealers where they'll actually adjust their percentages depending on what the actual physical card is. Um, they'll take much more of a percentage off for a, a heavy played dual land compared to a heavy played standard card. Huh. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I hadn't really planned on on doing any of that. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about it that doesn't seem right. But I think I think what I'd probably want to do is come up with a hundred use cases. You know, maybe do like fifty mm-hmm. standard, or maybe more, like fifty standard, fifty modern, fifty legacy, and just look at the percentage that we have in mind and see if it feels right for all the cards. Because yeah. so far, you know, I've probably done this for ten or twenty cards, and so far it's felt pretty good. Uh, but actually, that's something I'd love to get your opinion on. So maybe once I put that spreadsheet together, you could take a look and be like, ah, oh, this feels right here, but not some right here, and then we can kind yeah. of adjust our formula accordingly. Yeah, love to help out with that. Cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. It'd actually be really easy, too, to have different price formulas for, like, different legacy legacy or modern standard stuff. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. We'll take a look. That's, I'd love to get your feedback on that. Yeah, yeah You guys have a built-in, a built-in kind of way for user feedback, too. If, if I find a card... 
that's listed for, say, 100 Puka points, and I feel that it's worth more or less um, when I go to the search page. There's a feature that you can kind of suggest to you guys to take another look at the, the value of the cards. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, it was one thing that was always really important to us to not just exclusively rely on the algorithm to generate the prices. Uh, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, it's it, it has some human oversight. So, um, yeah, there's actually a couple people on our team uh, that are specifically looking at prices. Every card has a little flag next to it. If you navigate to the cards page uh, next to the price, you'll see a little red flag. And when you click that flag, um, it actually triggers a notification to our price team. And, uh, yeah, they kind of just keep an eye out at the prices and adjust uh, adjust where needed. But it's definitely a way that we can get user feedback around anything that might need a little tweaking. Awesome. Um, kind of taking a step back to beginning of the podcast, we mentioned, uh, you know, you were recently introducing uh, Magic Online trading as well. And one thing that kind of uh, popped into my mind with that is the market on Magic Online seems to move a bit quicker than the paper magic, uh, paper magic, especially price volatility. Um, so have you guys kind of taken that into account as well when uh, just kind of figuring out what you're going to have the conversion rates be? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Magic Online is is a really, really intro in, interesting ecosystem to be learning about. Um, and you're uh, you're absolutely right. Prices changes incredibly quickly uh, for Magic Online. So um, right now we actually update our paper prices uh, like two or three times a day. Uh, but once we launch uh, Magic Online, everything's going to be updated hourly, um, just because wow. you have to. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so it'll be kind of like this huge machine churning in the background, but generating all these prices. And, uh, cause I mean, that's just how quick that, uh, the, the moto economy f- works, you know? Um, yeah, one of the things that, well, I don't know when you guys are publishing this podcast, but actually I'll give you a sneak preview. Tomorrow we're actually going to be announcing, um, a partnership that, uh, that we have with, a online company called uh, Magic Online Service Solutions. And basically what these guys do is they build technology specifically for the Magic Online ecosystem. Uh, so they're really deeply embedded in um, in commerce, online uh, Magic Online commerce, and, um, you know, the tools uh, that people need in order to trade and the guidelines that Wizards of the Coast sets forth um, for bots running on their on their clients, um, and uh, they have thought a lot about prices, um, and they have a ton of data uh, that's really going to be helpful and critical um, in in this new kind of pricing uh, paradigm that we're going to be moving towards. That's pretty um, awesome. So, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we'll be publishing a, a blog um, tomorrow at about 10 a.m. Uh, with the announcement. So if this if this is published anytime after that, <laughs> people will be able to navigate the blog and check it out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we'll put in the show notes. Cool. I understand. <laughs> uh, that's that's an inside uh, joke, Eric. Uh, anytime you want Adrian to do something and just annoy him, just tell him to put it in the show notes. <laughs> we get the many many gifts in there. It'll be great. It'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so wow. one, I gotta say, Eric, just listening to you, it. uh it sounds like you're loving what you're doing, you, and and you know you're loving your business, and I like hearing that because it. The first thing I take from it is that you're taking care of your business. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and and just even listening to you about the security aspects, everything you're getting into about it, it's you're taking it serious, and and apparently you have for what three years now. I like that, and I am an idiot. Maybe you can exactly <clears throat> tell me what is uh, Indiegogo. 
Oh, yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> Kickstarter. Yeah. How, how does it work? So a, a Kickstarter Kickstarter was sort of the original uh, crowdfunding platform, and okay. basically um, how it would work is um, anyone with an idea would say, hey, like I have this idea for uh, an art installation I want to do or a nonprofit organization or a business that I'm starting or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm trying to raise money for it, but I don't necessarily uh, want to or feel like I can go to a bank to take out a loan right. or go to a venture capitalist to, to try to get investment capital, mm-hmm. but it's just... I, I love this idea, and if you guys like it too, let's build it together. Okay, so um, it's kind of a way to – is it a way to get funded without needing like a, a straight business proposal and um, everything pre-configured? Yeah, I mean, yeah, or it's a way to – I think of it as a way to get funding without a real rich guy writing a check and then taking your idea. <laughs> right, right. It's more, it's more collaborative community-based. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. And I think that's the, that's the cool thing is that – it. It ends up having like this real community owned feel to it where people mm-hmm. get involved with the project and they feel like they have ownership of it. And, um, in some ways it does give the community more of a voice, uh, mm-hmm. to be able to say, look, this is how I would love this to, to, to pan out. This is the things that are important to me. And, uh, you know, this is a project that's important to me. Um, yeah, so totally. we like- yeah, we, we've actually we've actually done two Indiegogo projects just to keep Puka Trade community owned and operated, and um, I, I think it's worked really well for us. Um, and I, I think that all of our members would agree. You know, that's um, awesome. It's always been like a, a goal of mine not to go seek investment if possible. And even investors will say this too. They'll say, "Don't seek venture capital unless you absolutely have to," because it changes it. It fundamentally you, you fall into their rules. Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It really does change it. And if, you know, if the, if a venture capitalist who wrote a big check to us said, look, uh, you should not, uh, offer Puka Trade for free anymore. You should start doing a transaction fee for every trade or something like that. There, we might be under a certain obligation to do it. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't feel like that that was the best way to keep the community's interests at heart, at heart. And it's really important to me that Puka Trade stays free and every service that costs money is like optional and completely unnecessary. Not completely. I mean, I don't want to undersell it too much. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. Nobody give us money. (laughs) I can can definitely vouch for that because, like I said, the first time I really heard about Puka Trade, uh, you guys were on a podcast and you were talking about your Indiegogo campaign and so i checked out the site and like i'm like man i can use all this stuff for free like and then seeing with it you guys don't take you know a rake on every trade that there is or require a monthly membership like i was like yeah like i totally backed the indiegogo campaign like i became like an uncommon member on the site because that had all the features that i needed and it was like just like a total buy-in from like a user standpoint you know what i mean like i just felt like you guys are on the side of the of the traders you guys are on the side of the guys who are playing magic you know what i mean i felt like it was like a you know kind of a company run by people who get it you know oh yeah that's totally that's totally true and you know we're all magic players we all love the game we host a a card night every tuesday and usually we take half days on friday and you know i think we all have you know we've been embedded in this game for so long and all we want to do is see it succeed and Mm -hmm. uh, you know see it become more accessible to people who are not necessarily uh, you know financially prepared to dump a bunch of money into it you know (laughs) has has wizards like approached you or have you guys talked to wizards i mean i'm sure there must be some kind of communication but have they kind of recognize you guys as being like the sort of bringing the, you know, because obviously the magic community is very important to wizards, and I feel like you guys are taking, you know, a community that's that's pretty pretty tight-knit, but also 
geographically very spread out, and you've made that by being able to trade, you know, all over the – I mean, I've sent cards all over the world. By being able to trade that way, you've made it even more close-knit and, and more tighter, and you know what I mean? Like, it's just been – you know, it's, it seems like everything's a little bit more together there. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I have had some contact with uh, Wizards of the Coast. It's Wizards is a really, really interesting company in a lot of different ways. Um, they have a kind of very hands-off approach to the secondary market in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And my understanding of that is that it it kind of ties into – they're kind of not allowed to acknowledge the fact that these pieces of cardboard that they're printing have value, mm-hmm. you know, they're, because it starts to – I think there's – if, I think like the worst case scenario for them is that magic somehow gets classified as a gambling game or that mm-hmm. it's like, you know, there's, there's some element of, uh, if they become, in, yeah, I think if they become invested in, 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 uh, the secondary market as acknowledging it, it gets borderline towards insider trading. Depending yeah. On what they print. I, I think that there is a lot of really weird, complicated legality involved in that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they, they have actually always had a very hands-off approach um, to the secondary market in general. Um, but um, I have talked to a couple of folks in the company that say they know the site and they love the site. They love what they're doing, even, what we're doing, even if they can't necessarily come out and say it publicly. <laughs> right. Well, you know, <laughs> the thing, <laughs> just even listening to you, the, the thing I, I, I highly respect and agree with um, – your your opinions just as far as sponsorship goes. You know, it's like uh you know, nobody's approached to sponsor this podcast, but it's one of the things we were we were talking about, you know, I'm not um I understand a lot of people are doing the Patreon thing. I'm just I'm not a fan of trying to do anything that's sponsorship based myself because then I can't be me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have to be whoever somebody just bought me to be. Right, right. Yeah, I I, I, I I respect your opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. No, I think it's super important for anyone who makes content um, to you know think about what it means to be authentic. And I think in a lot of (laughs) exactly, you know, it's it's awesome to authentically support a a product and and feel like you want to share share it with your followers so they can get enjoyment out of it too. But yeah, I think that there is there is something really tricky about ads, and I I think it's really important that people think critically about the type of ads that they are. Um, you know, having on their site or or anything like that. So yeah, it's cool that you're you're kind of on the same page there. So so kind of tying it all together too is so, um, you know, wizards can't really acknowledge uh, the secondary market. So it's not like wizards could really promote Puka Trade. Um, but have you are you worried at all? I know wizards is very protective, especially with MTGO with letting outside influences. You know. Uh, Cockatrice was a big one that got shut down because Wizards didn't like a competing program. And not to say Puka Trade's competing with MTGO, but you're definitely the most closely involved program that's entwined in MTGO that I've ever seen. Are you worried at all that Wizards may step in and say, hey, we're not really comfortable with you being this involved? Actually, no, not at all. And I think one of the reasons for that is that we are doing what they themselves are kind of feel like they're not allowed to do, you know? Oh, okay. They, they, they could never come up with a system where they said, uh, Tarmogoyfs are worth $120. Because, again, it goes back to what inherently we were talking about before. In, right, yeah. inherently requires them to acknowledge that Tarmogoyf has an outside value. That there's exactly. a secondary market, yeah. Right, but if we, as uh, you know, a site that's completely unaffiliated uh, from them, come out and say, no, actually, we looked at the secondary market and it's worth this much, and you can trade it on our site for that... 
then they're you know it's it's different. It's a very it's a very different sort of thing. So I think uh, yeah no I I feel like um, there's nothing that we're doing that's competing with Wizards of the Coast at all. I mean a, you you brought up Cockatrice. Cockatrice is offering Magic <laughs> Online for free. You right. Know, that's a, that's a, a very Not the best thing. example, but what I could come up with. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. It's a very different thing than sort of like allowing people to trade digital cards in a peer to peer way um, that is completely um, that that doesn't exist today and. You know, I always think, uh, this, this one thing I always think about this is, uh, you know, who would ever buy a trading card game that you couldn't trade? Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, if people, if people can't trade to get value out of it, you know? Then it's like a buying card game. I, 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 my brain I, just exploded just now. No, I gotta tell you, I, I've got two 50 card decks of bicycle cards on my shelf. <laughs> but when I want to play solitaire. <laughs> It's not a trading card game. Unless there are no, packs not. of Desert Storm bicycle cards. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, and I just think that's it. It's like, um, you know, we, I, I think what we do fundamentally adds value to the game of Magic as a whole. It, it you know, it, it kind of, I think for a lot of people, the ability to trade a card justifies uh, the, the original purchase of it, you know? It's, it's way easier to justify a draft if you, if you pull the $15 card that pays for the whole draft, you know? Yep. And then, uh, so yeah, no, I, I think, I, I, I believe that, um, you know, even if we don't explicitly, explicitly have, um, Wizards of the Coast's blessing, I believe that it is implicitly there. Okay. I like that. Yeah, it is definitely way more justifiable spending $300 on a piece of cardboard that's 20 years old if you know you can resell it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Now, that, now is, that, is, that is an investment asset, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now you're talking my language. Well, only, it's only like, an uh, asset when you resell it. <laughs> realize gain, Adrian. Realize gain. Yeah, I gotta tell as you. As long as you're not confidence. in Uzbekistani gold, you're probably fine. You know. Now, still put all your money in Uzbekistani golds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things um, for sure when I started getting into Legacy. Um, that was sort of one of the other feel bad moments that I had with Standard because I wasn't able to trade so often. Is that your cards can depreciate pretty quickly if your deck isn't at the top of the metagame. And um, getting into Legacy, I noticed that these cards for the most part stay pretty level which is which is pretty sweet because I know that I can get in at a certain price and get out you know if I need to not too far from where I started you know and it doesn't feel like you're constantly reinvesting over investing your capital in this game um, you can kind of get in and, and I guess build your collection but um, yeah that was kind of one of the nice things about legacy too and about getting you know into poopy trade that way um, giving face value for the card I'm also excited because because Magic Online and Paper Magic are such different beasts, the price differences can be huge, especially with the legacy cards. Uh, for example, like Caracas is a hundred and ten, hundred and twenty dollar card in paper, and online it's like twelve bucks. So you can turn one paper Caracas into twelve online Caracases. So it's gonna be interesting being able to trade like a single legacy card and building an entire legacy deck on Magic yeah. Online. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's really cool. That's got to feel great. Yeah. Without <laughs> you trade. Yeah, because then Jerry can play Legacy in his underwear. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Playing Legacy Pantsless, the greatest selling feature of Magic. <laughs> anyway, um, now there is, I don't know how long you have to stick around, Eric, but there's also 
bunch of other stuff. I don't know how into Legacy you are, or if this would just bore the hell out of you. Oh uh, no, I so love you, Legacy. Yeah, right, I was gonna say if you gotta go, if you gotta go, you could feel free to just let us know. No, um, I mean, I, seriously, this is all I have planned for the night, so I'm I'm here for as long as you guys will have me. All right, then cool. Hang out with us. You, more than welcome to hang out with us. I I wanted to bring up a few things here with uh with you guys, Jerry and Pat. Anyway, yeah. Um, so one thing, Eric, uh, and I'll. You're not aware of this, I got to imagine, but we decided to start doing something. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Pat hit me up with a question. I kind of shut it down quick, and then I thought about it. Um, so we're giving away some playmats, and I, we we're trying to figure out a way that we wanted to like do something to give away these playmats. And so this podcast is on MTG Cast, and um, you know one of the theories that I picked up a while ago was like charity begins at home. So we we started telling people and like checking with people and seeing what they thought and they encouraged it so we decided we were going to start taking in comments and uncomments and people could just mail them so like if they had um you know either a, like a box of comments or uncomments but more realistically what i was thinking was if they bought a pack and like opened it up and got the rare and we're going to throw the comments in the trash just stick them in an envelope and mail them to us and then i was going to take whatever comments and uncomments were accumulated and bring them to some place to buy list them and then take the money and then donate half to mtg cast that uh, host the cast and the other half to the Wounded Warrior Project and um, so pe- people started hitting me up and Pat hit me up with a question what if people just sold their commons and mailed uh, and took a picture and mailed funds and I, I wasn't into that I was more into like um, keeping postal workers employed and keeping people <laughs> who were sort- sorting cards employed you Trip know their charity <laughs> well just like trying to do something active um, anyway but so I got an email from somebody I got two screens and I'm just all out of my tits. <laughs> so, <laughs> collect so, yourself, Adrian. <laughs> yeah. So at Telestomp on Twitter, hit me up um, with a message and asked me a question similar to Pat. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, why? You know, this if this is like a charity thing. Why limit how something would be donated? You know what I mean? Yeah. So so I got this email from Conrad, uh, which actually touches on a couple of things. But one of the things he mentioned is. Um, <laughs> uh, you can add me to the list of overseas listeners. I'm from New Zealand, yeah. and, um, which kind of floored me. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I'm going to get into in a second. And, um, and Pat, you'll like this. A few more closing notes. Adding Patrick to the cast has been awesome. He has a new dynamic to the show and makes it even more enjoyable. I want to participate in the charity effort you guys have going on, but the cost of sending bulk to the P.O. Box from New Zealand would be more than the money that would be raised. So I was wondering if it would be an option to sell my bulk locally and send you the money I get from it, either by bank transfer or PayPal or something. So I sent him back, uh, curious what he would think about, like, a check or money order. I don't know how they do money orders in New Zealand, and I don't know how currency exchange or, like, my, my bank can answer that if I wanted to. But, um, so, um, um, so I guess what I'm saying, Pat, is I shouldn't have shut that down as yeah. quick as I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? It was funny. Um, Renee from, uh, MTG Focus, uh, podcast, I believe it is. Um, she had hit me up because uh, there are. She saw my post on Twitter about this fundraiser that we're doing, and you know we all have extra playmats. We just want to get them out to the listeners, and you know let's raise some money for a good a good uh, cause with Wounded Warrior, and let's give some money back to NTG uh, Cast, who hosts just a bevy of awesome po- magic podcasts. You know they're just like without them, there'd be a lot of content creators out there without a way to get their stuff out. Um, and she had said, hey, you know. I have two guys in my podcast who are both veterans. Like, you know, what can we do to help out? Like, we can, you know, put it out to our listeners and whatnot. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And her idea was, you know, what if they sold the cards to their local game store, right, and 
sent you PayPal or exactly what your buddy's saying from New Zealand, you know, like send him, send him via PayPal or whatever money order. And um, I thought it was a great idea. So I think that that's something listeners can, can hang on to because the cards are still going to go to local shops. People at local shops are still going to be sorting tons of commons and uncommons. And, well, well, that's and the it, thing. It's, it's like, why does it have to keep just the shops in Massachusetts busy? That's kind of what totally. I was thinking. Yeah, absolutely. About. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, certainly if they have, like, a good rapport with their local shop, like, you know, I went to G2 Games um, the other day to sell a bunch of my commons and uncommons, and he gives me, you know, $2 more than a store down the road because he knows me really well. I'm in there all the time to get singles and whatnot. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it's kind of one of those things that keeps my local guy in business, too. And, you know, the guy in New Zealand, like, that card shop, I'm sure will love to have those both commons and uncommons, too. So um, I think it's just a win-win, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's an awesome idea. And, uh, yeah, I mean, payments, payment logistics aside, I think it's a fantastic project. And, uh, you know, I, I think about uh, w- this box that we have around our office. We call it the slush box. It's just like a <laughs> box of common and uncommons that's left over after drafts that no yeah. one claims that we're certainly not going to throw away. And, you know, we've, we've been looking for something good to do with it. So I'd be more than happy to contribute that. And I'm what? sure a lot of other people would be too. Yeah, so. see, that's exactly it is. I was going through my collection because I was, I was getting ready to start selling my collection and start selling off parts of it anyway. And I get this box of commons and uncommons. Pat was talking about giving away a playmat. And I'm like, well, I got a bunch of playmats too that I'm not going to buy a list. I'm like, well, what can I do with these that's actually positive? You know what I mean? Like, what can I do that's more than just, um, you know, to like, how can I use these to good? Yeah. And that was, that was like, you know, but, and it, it it kind of stemmed from a few things. There was a post from one of the listeners that mentioned something about the veterans, and um, and it just all kind of came together as as a as a tentative as a I don't know something like a positive idea, whatever it was. Totally, you know, yeah, it's, like a, a it's an awesome project, man. It's a yeah, great like a collaborative project. effort that seemed worthwhile. Yeah. Um. So anyway, aside from that, so he also sent a deck list, and uh, I just want to do a couple of quick draw sevens if you guys are up for it. Yeah, let's go for yeah. it. Let's see it. All right. Let's do it. So, yeah. So, anyway, so he sent in a deck list. It's, it's um, he, <laughs> all right, now I'm going to go back to the email. Uh, first off, thanks for your reply on Twitter. Um, on last week's cast, you had a discussion about the card Seed Time. I per- <laughs> which, <laughs> are you familiar with that card, Eric? Or, or, Sorry about that. I think my thing cut off there. But yeah, no, I am familiar with that card. We, we, were, just having, we were having a discussion about that in the office as well. Um, much in particular, uh, he loves seed time. That was like the super secret tech that he found. Oh, I love it. I'd never heard of it till I saw it on a South Florida Magic podcast. Um, yeah, stream. Anyway, and uh, I mentioned it to Jerry, and he he started drooling. Oh, I have so many places at the seed time, just stocked away, waiting for that to become the best card in Legacy. <laughs> hey, who could argue with the time walk? You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> so on last on last week's cast, you had a discussion about the card seed time. I personally had never heard of this card before, and immediately looked it up and wanted to start trying some stuff out with it. I thought you might be interested in seeing the list I came up with. So it's four flooded strands, four misty rainforests, four windswept heath. Um, so it's all bent. And then uh, two tro- uh, one tropical island, a tundra, plains, islands, forest, and a Caracas. The creatures are a place at a monastery mentors and a place at a Stoneforge mystics and two snapcaster mages. Oh, uh, snapcaster seed time. I- <laughs> <laughs> just, just as an aside, I just added four seed time to my Puka Trades want list. <laughs> that's, that's a true story. That is a true story. <laughs> Uh, instance of sorceries, a forcible brainstorm, ponder, four ofs, four seed time, two counter spells, two dig through times, and three source to plowshares, uh, three sensei's divining tops, a batter skull, a jet, a jace, and a sylvan library. 
So, so what are we calling this? Bant seed time? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, Bant taking another turn. Something like that. Oh, Bant souls for seed time, man. I don't even know if I could if I could do that. <laughs> it's like you go out against death and tax, and you're like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I like about it though? Like, man, I just feel like. Blue needs more ways to punish it, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's such a freebie, you know? It's like the, the legacy challenge around the office right now is build a non-blue legacy deck, you know? <laughs> we, always have like, we have like these ambitious starts where it's like, yeah, I'm just in black-white, I'm doing like Lich and Children of Corliss, and there's no blue, I don't need it at all. But then oh. you're like, oh, wait, actually, I could just run four Brainstorms and four Ponder and <laughs> four Axiom Pros and like, just like actually just go find my goofy combo and like, yeah, that makes it a lot better. I gotta tell you, I absolutely blanked out after I heard Children of Corliss. <laughs> I am a big Tin Fins fan. <laughs> nice, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably like the good way to use Children of Corliss. I've been trying oh. forever to make Lich work, but I just don't know. <laughs> oh, he's so good with Grizzlebrand. That's what it, makes that deck stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, so you need, I mean, with that, you need a way to recur him, right? You, you gotta reanimate. You re- reanimate in Shallow Grave. Right, right. Yeah. See, that's what I love about Lich. You can actually just cast Lich. Oh, oh, okay. You're talking about recurring Grizzlebrand. No, no. I'm talking about Lich. What the yeah. hell is Lich? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready? Lich is kind of a novel. You know, there's like, there, it, it's one of those things that like oh has way too much text. <laughs> it looks right, like, gonna, it looks like Jane. Oh, I remember like that from when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, this is like Alpha Lich, like Beta Lich, you know, like old school card, super cool art on it. Like, but, but here, look, I'm going to try to break it down as simply as possible. So what Lich says is, okay, first of all, it's a four, four-costed enchantment, black, 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 and it says, you lose all life, okay? <laughs> so you just lose all life. <laughs> but it also says, of course, you don't lose the game for having zero or less life. And it says, uh, if you would if you would gain life, instead you draw that many cards. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some other drawbacks which we won't worry about. <laughs> yeah, we don't read that part of the card. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about those. <laughs> don't worry about if you lose Lich, you just lose the game. <laughs> So that actually, so shit, so what I, hmm, now you got me thinking about, do I want to use that with replenish? Well, oh yeah, it's great with replenish, and actually that's where I started with. I actually started with replenish type effects, but uh, then I found Children of Corliss, and I was like, oh my god, if you you resolve a lich with Children of Corliss in play, you are drawing 20 cards. I mean, if you, you know, if you could do this early in the game before you've taken a lot of damage, like, you can go from 20 to 0 when you play Lich, then sacrifice your children of Corliss, attempt to gain 20 life, but instead just draw 20 cards. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So this is what I've been trying to brew on in Legacy for the longest time, and I don't know. It's okay. Now that that we mentioned it, I'm sure you see it somewhere in an SCG Top (laughs) 8. Hey, I would love it, man. Someone someone should uh, take that and and tell me how to make it work. Exactly. Brainstorming and pondering into it, and uh, get taxi and probing, and it's kind of working. But really, I just want the way to cut blue from that. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, so true too. Because like I'll make like dead guy L. It's like all right, Stoneforge and Liliana and Dark Confidant, and then I'm like, and then I can add Brainstorm, and then I can add Jace, and now I have Esper, and this is a great deck. It dies to seed time though. Yeah, it does die to seed time. <laughs> It's just dawned on me. You're paying life to cast a taxi and probe with Lich and play and drawing two. 
Um, yeah. Well, you actually can't do that. By the time you resolve Lich, you won't be able to pay life to cast. Oh, okay, okay, I gotcha. Yep. But that's okay. You really want to be cast and probe before you resolve the Lich or even try to. Hmm. Yeah, by the time you have Lich in play, you don't, you don't have to worry about the, the probes. <laughs> right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it. into that card some more. <laughs> yeah, you should. I'll send you a list. I'd, I'd be curious to get your eyes on it. Like, I'm, I'm pretty new to Legacy as a format. Like, I don't, I don't know. I have, I have a vague understanding of a lot of the archetypes and, um, but I don't know. It's, it'd be really interesting to get your guys' perspective on this list. Cause I actually do feel like it has potential, but, um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I just haven't got the games in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we back to this uh, draw seven. Because <laughs> uh, that's awesome. But <laughs> this is, so is this opening hand: uh, a tropical island, a flooded strand, a top ponder, monastery mentor, jit, and a seed time. Mentors feel a little slow, don't they? Yeah. yeah. It depends on the deck you're playing against, though, because jit alone is enough to ruin a lot of decks in the format. Mm-hmm. There, did I miss it? Is there anything to throw that jit on? Yeah, the, the monastery mentor. mentor. Oh, the monastery there, mentor. There's also there's, there's two lands. One's a fetch. There's a top and a ponder. And you have the tokens too. You know your your mentor's going to make tokens too. So you can't go you can't go wide with that card. Yeah, it's still super slow against even creature based decks. Like a uh, rug delver is going to have beating your face down at that point. Well, your turn uh-huh. one plays either a top or a ponder, right? True, and your your opponent's going to put you on miracles, which is definitely a benefit of the deck. Well, if you start with the flooded strand, I mean, yeah. If you, if you start with a trap and ponder, you know, I, what are they thinking? I don't know, bug delver, uh-huh. maybe. R- yeah, bug delver. I mean, rug delver with a bad starting hand. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just I'm seeing more bug delver than rug delver lately. Yeah, but okay. Um, I think it's definitely a benefit of the deck is that your opponent's going to have no idea what the hell you're doing. <laughs> okay. Well, what if it's uh, a Jit, a Dig Through Time, Misty Rainforest, Tundra, Force of Will, Windswept Heath, and a Ponder? Uh, I mean, you got a Ponder. <laughs> that's saying something about that hand. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, what, well, you got to think about what is this deck trying to do, right? Besides take extra turns, like, what's its, what's its end game? I mean, are you trying to survive, like, through creature decks to get to a, a real strong finisher, or are you just taking extra turns to get extra turns? What the hell was that? That's a motorcycle. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry's actually podcasting on his Harley right now. I, don't know I, am, I am. I'm going down Interstate 90 right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I like that hand. Yeah, I don't really like it either. What about you, Eric? What do you think? I, did it have a seed time? No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, the end all be all. <laughs> the, thing with, the thing with extra turns I find is like if you're taking an extra turn and all you're doing is making um, an extra land drop, it seems like you're just pay- you know what I mean. It doesn't seem like you might the, as well just run explore. <laughs> right? Yeah. You, yeah. Exactly. Sure. Or, or whatever. Like it feels like you're not making the most of that slot in your deck. Something that I've certainly noticed, like especially in Legacy, is that every single slot in your deck is needs to be worth a card, and you'd have to really abuse the extra turn. You'd have to find something something where you can abuse that to make it really good. I mean, it sounds isn't really it, good. Isn't it turn. just a, abusive enough to make your blue opponent start to second-guess whether they should be casting something? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I mean, any good blue player is going to treat it like a, a standstill. Just because your opponent plays standstill doesn't mean you stop playing the game. You just sure. as soon as possible. 
Sure. I guess I guess my thought about monastery mentor is that if you cast seed time, it gets the prowess trigger, but now you can't use that prowess trigger because your next turn it's gone. Yeah, I mean, you, know, yeah, you, you, also, you, get, you get the monk. You get the monk with prowess, right? You get so, a token, but it's not going to get prowess till the next turn. I mean, you can't. The, the seed time will never trigger prowess because you're usually going to cast seed time second main. But you'll still get the token. You'll still get the token second main. Yeah, you get a one-one token. Young Pyromancer does that. Yeah, well, well, no, but you know, you get a one-one token with prowess. Yeah, so that's that's. I think that's partially what I don't like about Mentor is that what about something like Click? Like Click is, it, I love it because it has flash, right? It's a good, great creature on its own. You get to peek at their hands, see what they're up to, and like you know, you could hold up seed time in case they cast something blue. And if they don't, you click them. You just click them at end step. And then what you have is a three-powered flyer in the air, and it makes your extra turns actually relevant. Yeah, I like I that. Guess, I guess the cute thing with five mana is if you click them and they try to brainstorm in response, then you can seed time also. Oh, really get them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, no, you can only play seed time on your turn. Yeah. Yeah. So you, cl- you cast click main phase, or second main. They try to brainstorm in response. And then you just cast seed time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen this stuff, uh, Eric, but the, so the monastery mentor. I've been seeing people cycling tops with it. Have you? I don't know if you've seen that at all towards Legacy, but people like they'll they'll use they've been using it in Miracles decks, and then they'll play a top, and then tap to draw a card, which is usually a top on top of the deck, and they just keep casting tops to build up that prowess. Oh, that's yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah. I've been seeing wow. that in some Miracles decks. Wait, yeah, I just had. I just had a thought. How does seed time work with Painter's Servant? Beautifully. They does just that have work? to cast an instant. Does that work how I think it works? Yeah, they just have to cast an instant. So make all their all their deck blue, and then any time they play any instant, which is... On, well, they have to play it on your turn. Oh, it has to be played on your turn. Well, yeah, because <laughs> you can only cast seed time during your turn. Oh, that's well, seed true. Time, seed time's a sorcerer anyway, so... No, it's an instant. Yeah, that's how you oh, get it. Yeah. That's the weird thing about oh. it. It's an instant that you could only play on your turn. Oh, okay, okay. It, it really makes itself on spells. Yeah. Because they're supposed to, like, counter your spell, and then you're like, yeah, well, I'm going to try that again next time, and next time's going to be right now, so there. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how I picture everyone who plays seed time reacting. <laughs> Jeez, you know, if that was only modern legal, that would be that would have such fun interaction with Remand. Oh, oh man, God. I really <laughs> want that to have a reprint. <laughs> Come on, bring back seed time. I'm going to counter it, put it back in your hand, I'll cast seed time and take another turn. <laughs> oh, that's, that's mean. <laughs> anyway, uh, all right, last one, last draw seven here. And a flooded strand, a ponder, a brainstorm, two monastery mentors, a swords to plowshares, and another brainstorm. I mean, Is that's a really good hand, but that's also just a really good monastery mentor miracles hand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, two brainstorms and a ponder. It's at least getting you somewhere. But it's um, it looks like it's got fun opening sevens to me. But it, it's uh, I know it's something that he's just putting together. So I'm curious to see more as he as he develops it further. Yeah. But anyway, so so there's that for the draw sevens, and I want to thank Conrad for uh, sending in the list and offering his feedback. I love I love brewing, man. I love. Pe- I, I'm not a great brewer. I've only had one decent brew in my life, but I think people who brew decks are just, I think it's just a, such a cool way to interact with the game that's not just sitting down and playing a, a net deck, you know what I mean? Well, the cool thing I think about Legacy that I've enjoyed is that, you know, you can start to brew a deck, but you don't have to worry about getting it done before rotation. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and the card pool the card pool is obviously really deep, too, so you can brew with basically anything you want. 
What, what about you, Eric? Are you a brewer? What, what's your? How do you play Legacy? Yeah, I love it. I love it. I, I've always enjoyed Magic the most when I'm brewing a deck up, uh, making something, uh, and seeing if it works, tinkering with it, refining it. That's really, really what, what gets me going with Magic, and that uh, I think it's been that way for a really long time. Um, actually, for the first time in my life, though, I'm kind of starting to dabble in like the known decks, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, that's that's surprisingly fun as well, you know. I, I I mean, for one thing, it's kind of incredible to just be handed this perfectly tuned machine, right? That's right. have holes like the whole hive mind working on it, you know? Where <laughs> everybody, you know, it's just this this perfect thing and I, I think you can learn a lot about the game of magic and you could learn a lot about your competition and what you what you expect to be playing against by by playing these known decks. So, yeah, although I, I think I traditionally brew, um I, yeah, I I uh, I did build Legacy Elves and uh that that is awesome. It's really yeah, really fun to really play. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> What's the other legacy deck that you have? You said you have two, right? You did elves, and what was the other one? The other one is Lich. Like, I put that together. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, that's what I was going to say. I'm like, Jerry just asked you if you were a brewer, and you were talking about playing Lich. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a kind of a rhetorical question. I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's such a deck-building challenge, though. Anytime you make a new deck, it's like, well, what does it do against blue? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> cool combo. What does it do against counterspell? Well, the, uh, the, the latest SEG, uh, I don't know if this is a legacy open, but it was on the 21st, so what was that, Sunday? It's must have yeah. been like Super Sunday or whatever. Um, Burn oh, came like, in first in Indiana. Yeah, you look at this. <laughs> yeah, Burn, Burn came in first, Death and Taxes, Ad Nauseam, Teamer Delver, Mandalist Dredge, Omnitel, Blue Eye Control, and then Jun coming in eighth. I mean, even the top 16, I don't, I see Teamer Delver again, I see Elves. Uh, Blue White, Stoneblade, Ad Nauseam. I mean, in fact, I mean, this is, like, that's one of the things I love about Legacy, man. Like, top eight, eight different decks. Like, we were talking about that in Worcester, too. Top eight was six different decks. I mean, really eight, like, by title, but it's just awesome, man. I freaking love yeah, that. that is really cool. It's awesome to see a diverse format, for sure. But let me oh. ask you this. How many of those decks in the top 16 had blue in them? Uh, all of them except Burn, right? Well, and no, no, Death and Taxes doesn't have blue. Manalist Dredge doesn't have blue. Jun doesn't, doesn't have blue. blue. So actually oh. only four out of eight decks were running blue. Oh, okay. Well, that's so. And, and, and <laughs> you said Ad Nauseam doesn't have blue, right? Uh, I well, mean... it's got Brainstorm and Ponder, but not okay. like Force of Will. Ad Nauseam is like the least blue of the blue decks. It's a combo deck. Like, it runs blue, but... If any blue deck could cut blue, it probably could be Ad Nauseam, though losing Ponder and Brainstorm hurts it. It's not running blue for all the typical reasons. It's just basically running blue because it has cantrips, and that deck, you know, lives off of cantrips. If you go to, you know, kind of other formats, there's a lot of Storm decks that don't really rely as heavily on blue. Uh, But still, in first and second, Burn and Death and Taxes, that's that's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's actually really <laughs> until, cool. until you until you play and keep losing to burn at death in Texas. Man, I hate this format. Give me the book. <laughs> you forget that I have I have that burn deck all built. I actually have every single card in that list. What do you including mean? Including the side where I have all those cards right now, so yeah, that could have been you. Pat, you could have won. <laughs> I know. Why was I in Indianapolis and with a lot more experience playing burn? Because you, you got two kids and you're gr- you're a grown ass man. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> got about that. Yeah. So I'm still, uh, I'm still trying to get down to Philly, though. We're still trying to get to Philly for Eternal Weekends. Yeah, there we go. Um, Eric, if you could build any deck in Legacy, uh, what what would it be? 
glitch. Oh man, <laughs> it was that's high tough. glitch. <laughs> that's that's really tough. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel pretty lucky that there's um, a bunch of there's a couple. Well, there's a couple cool legacy decks around the office. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for Death and Taxes. That that deck is seriously cool. And yeah. again, like you know, it definitely passes the no blue challenge, which I like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know um, if you know the history of Death and Taxes, but Death and Taxes was actually built to specifically beat a boogeyman blue deck of the era. No really? way. I actually yeah, so didn't know that. Sneak and Show, which is actually the deck I'm on right now, that relies on uh, Sneak Attack and Show. <laughs> they're, they're sorry, sorry. 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 Okay. The bridge. That's not me. That's not me this time. <laughs> I'm sorry about that crazy cacophony. That was uh, some siren going by, and then my dog started howling at it. <laughs> oh, oh, was that you? I thought that was Jerry's neighbor. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> time. Not me. The V8 on his, his snowblower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I was saying about Death and Taxes. It was built to beat the blue boogeyman of the era, which is Sneak and Show. Uh, which, if, if you're not familiar with, it revolves around show and tell, which is put a permanent into play for two colorless and a blue, and sneak attack, which is three colorless and a red for an enchantment. That is one red, put a creature into play, it gains haste, sacrifice at the end of turn. Mm-hmm. So it uses those two cheaty, cheaty face cards in order to sneak in Grizzle Brains and Emrakuls. <laughs> and about a year ago, it was by far and away the best deck in the format. Everyone was running it. Uh, I think there was some SEGs where it was making up like six out of eight of the top eight of SEG events. And for the longest time, Death and Taxes was kind of this joke deck that no one played until people realized that it ran three main deck Caracases, yeah. which completely shut down Sneak and Show. Yeah. Uh, so after that meta, Death and Taxes rose to the forefront, and for a while, Death and Taxes was one of the best decks in the format. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I definitely have mad respect for that. It's again, like that's a really, really tight deck, and it's very hard to play around. It definitely fights on kind of a, a really insane access axis, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like that a lot. I think it's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a because usually most people. His reaction when it's like, alright, I need to beat this really scary combo deck that can kill me on turn two or turn three or sometimes even turn one. What's the easiest way to do that? Oh, we'll run lots of counter spells myself. But instead, these people playing Death and Tash are like, yeah, we're gonna just skip the counter spells and we're just gonna run a whole bunch of hate cards. <laughs> so, so yeah. the Caracas is just bouncing, bouncing what, Emrakul back to, back to the hand or whatever, whatever was the, the big card, it's, yeah, it is good against show but it's not that good against sneak attack. It's yeah, it's not the best, but it's it's a the thing about it is it's the turn one answer to a turn one show and tell. Gotcha. Like, gotcha. You would not believe the feeling that you get when you play show and tell on turn one off of a lotus petal and an ancient tomb. Yep. You put in play Emrakul, and your opponent puts into play Caracas. Oh yeah, <laughs> you that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you basically paid three mana, lost two life, blew a card on the lotus petal in order to give your opponent a free land turn zero. <laughs> <laughs> and that, okay, I get that now. Uh, that was actually <laughs> my question. I wasn't sure what the correct because I've seen Caracas in a few decks, and I wasn't really sure what they're balancing with that. You know, the return of the target legendary, but that makes so, sense. It's it's a little bit better than the play when like your opponent casts show and tell and they put in Emrakul and you put it in Snaring Bridge. Okay. It's just a little bit better than that. Yeah, because they don't get to keep the Emrakul as a blocker. They have to look for another show and tell or another sneak attack, really. And, but. and real, the benefit is, is it's almost impossible for them to get a turn one sneak attack off. They basically need three Lotus Petals in hand in order for that to work. 
Um, so they well, just. I mean, you can always show. You can always show and tell in a sneak attack and then activate it. Okay, but that still requires X. You know, yeah, that's more cards. X number of cards, but. Yeah. Yep. What it really is is the Krakus is to uh, slow down the deck, and then the Thank rest you. of the deck between, you know, Thalia's, Containment Priests, and Phyrexian all the... Phyrexian Revoker. Yeah, Phyrexian Revoker. All the other cards, they can land in time for the sneak attack to really just mm-hmm. take the deck out. To the point where a, bl- a blue combo deck's worst matchup is a mono-white deck, which is just mind-boggling to most people who don't really know the matchup. Yeah. <laughs> right up until they cast Massacre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's playing deep. If you're a sneak and show player playing Massacre. <laughs> uh, no, but a lot of combo decks will play Massacre. Ad nauseum, Tempest yeah. Might, Test Might, Tinfin's Will. Yeah. But, but um, who went to Providence this weekend? Eric, did you go? I wish, man. I've been looking for a GP to go to, but no, I, I did not make it out there. <laughs> do, you get, do you hit a lot of big events out where you are? Yeah, I try to go to everything on the West Coast. Okay. Yeah. Well, so we a bunch of a bunch of folks from Oakland here just got back from GP Oak or uh, sorry GP Las Vegas. Yeah, I missed yeah. out on that. Yeah, that that'd have been I a long flight. Some time. Yeah. And yeah, if you're was. looking to expand your legacy experience, you guys are getting the legacy GP this year. Oh, that's right, and that's going to be in Seattle in November, right? Yeah, Seattle in November. I'm actually tempted to fly out there for it. I'm going to be up there for sure. Yeah, it's so easy to get up there. It's like a you know an hour flight from here. Um, and then I can stay with my folks while I'm there. I was there, gonna say you still got run. relatives there. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, I'm always looking for an excuse to get up there and see them anyway. Um, but man, Legacy GP, that sounds amazing. <laughs> so you got about five min- uh, five months to tune Lich to it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah, you got to stop bringing. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. So I I ended up going to Providence and selling off a whole bunch of stuff. There was there was uh, one of the vendors that was paying heavy. So I ended up I did complete the play set of Tarmogoyfs. Yes. Yeah, uh, I put shardless but and I picked up another force of will. I put shardless bug back together, and then I sat down against Brent and I had shardless bug sleeved up and I played him and I realized just how terrible him to Turek became when people are playing Dig Through Time. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this guy not too. Not as bad as when they're playing Treasure Cruise, but... Oh, my God. I'd like, I'm filling up his graveyard so he can just choose two out of seven that he wants. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, ah. Oh. Discard so, two cards at random so I can then look at the top seven cards and two, choose two other cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I managed to put that back together. and then, But, but like, they were paying... They, they were buying... So they were buying Tarmogoyfs for 120 and selling them for 140 that's a pretty low spread in that case. That's yeah. usually a sign that the price is going to spike in the near term. And they, they weren't doing twenty five percent added on because they, they were they had the they had the cash prices so low anyway. And they were like they bought my Liliana for seventy five. They were buying Snapcaster Mages for fifty five. And they were bringing them back to California. So I don't know if there's some modern event that's coming up in California. I don't know if Eric would know, but um, I think it's just modern season in general. It's really? kind of just in full force, and uh, yeah, I think it's just in high demand right now. All right, it must just be hitting big over there or something. Oh, yeah, that's well, yeah. I'm interested, yeah, the- Eric. Do you find it difficult to find certain types of cards on the West Coast? No, I don't think so, but I, I don't really acquire cards coastally anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. seriously, like, I trade for everything now, so... Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, I get cards just sent... Uh, to me from all over the world. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like there's any specific, uh, you know, format supply uh, mm. low or anything. Uh, it feels like everything's pretty available. 
Ooh, that actually reminded me of a really cool thing Puka Trade's doing too, is just kind of dispersing the the glut of legacy cards because for the longest time the East Coast was the uh the stronghold of legacy. All the legacy huh. players lived on the East Coast to the point where it was before the days of the internet, it was really difficult to get legacy cards anywhere outside of the East Coast because the, over the years of people just playing, and that's where the focus was, that's where they had amassed, and it was really difficult to, you know, have it dispersed further out. And since the internet has come around and people buying and selling stuff online, it's definitely helped. But I think just the fact that Puka Trade allows people to trade with people across the country can definitely help with the whole uh, card availability. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess not having been in really that deeply embedded into the legacy scene, um, you know, uh, up until very recently. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like people who play it always have had access to it. Like, I'm thinking about some of my friends up in Seattle, and of course, Wizards of the Coast is from Renton, uh, right. which is, you know, the, the Pacific Northwest there. And, um, yeah, I feel like there's there's some pretty crazy, crazy collections with lots of old legacy <laughs> stuff. But maybe what it is is you guys have more format support over there for tournaments and stuff. Like, maybe there's right. more... Uh, action from a competitive standpoint than there is over here. Yeah, um, maybe. I, I mean, our store will fire off like uh, 20 to 30 men, usually mid-20s anyway, every Sunday. Oh, yeah, for Legacy. Wow. Yep. Yeah, for Legacy specifically. I can, I can yeah. say, like, I, I have a buddy in Kansas City who, like, cannot find a Legacy game within, like, 30, 40 miles of him. It's pretty rough for him. So mm. we're, we're definitely... Definitely lucky to have such a great legacy uh, community over here. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I mean, that's that's actually yeah, that's better than we have here in California too. Certainly in the Bay Area, um, a thirty-person tournament every Sunday is that's unheard of, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, that's why. Yeah, I don't know. Why do you think it is that we only have what is it one legacy GP this year? Isn't that the only one? Is the Seattle one? There's there's one U.S. legacy GP. There's three legacy GPs a year, but two of them are always overseas. Like one in Europe and then. one one in Southeast Asia. God, you can't help but feel like they're just sunsetting that format, huh? Well, um, I think it's just that Wizards, Wizards can't, they can't acknowledge the secondary market, and that's really what Legacy is based on. Yeah. You know, like, 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 all right, there's one card out of Origins that I actually wanted to ask Jerry, which would, if he's looked at it or noticed it. Um, Cothoped Hoarder of Souls. And it's two black, four colorless, legendary creature demon. Flying, whenever a permanent owned by another player is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, you draw one card and lose one life. And he's a 6-6. Six, six. Not mm. as good, of course, not as good as Grizzlebrand. I just, I just, when I looked at it, I was thinking pox. And I was thinking, I probably should have bought those sinkholes this weekend, because those were cheap. Nah, you're okay. That card's, that card's garbage. <laughs> that card's garbage. It looks like everything <laughs> in Origins is garbage. And that's probably why you can't get, like, legacy... Grand Prix to fire off so often is because like there's one card in the set that legacy players want and it doesn't showcase what Magic has just put out as a product. Standard mm-hmm. does. You know what I mean? Legacy showcases what Magic like that's one of the things why, you know, some people will complain oh show and tell should be banned. But the thing is like without show and tell, they can't showcase their new dopey creature or new dopey enchantment that they made like omniscience and grizzlebrand you know mm-hmm. show and tell allows those things to be showcased so i can't see them banning yeah them i don't think grizzlebrand would have ever taken off as popular as he has been in other formats if people haven't realized just how broken he was in legacy well sure but it's the enablers without the exactly. enablers in legacy you'd never see grizzlebrand um i think what it also is is wizards has publicly said that they can't support legacy any more than they can like they can't ever have a legacy pro tour 
and they don't really like having legacy GPs is because they're afraid of what would happen if a pro team decides, oh, guess what? The deck that's running four Tabernacles is the best deck in the format. We're all going to run it. Right. And now it's not even about, uh, you know, the best players winning. It's the players with the best access to cards winning. Well, we, we talked about, we talked about that last week too. Like, they certainly know that one of the reasons why they wanted to get rid of modern as a, as a pro tour format, obviously because standard is what sells their cards, right? Like, they, they, standard is what, you know, it's, it's the pro tour, but it could also be called the promotional tour. Like, I mean, they don't even call them like GP, you know, they don't call it like Grand Prix or Pro Tour Toronto anymore. It's Pro Tour Board of the Gods, whatever the case is. So they're mm-hmm. certainly trying to sell those, sell those, you know, those boxes of standard cards. Sure. Um, I, I just, I think that for them, like, to have a big legacy GP, I mean, with the, with the exception of nostalgia and some of those entrenched players, those really dedicated players, you're not getting a whole lot of anything out of the business end of it, um, doing legacy GPs, unfortunately, you know. Yeah. What, what's the largest, um, legacy tournament you've ever played in, Eric? Oh, um, actually, I, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. No, no, no. Yeah, I tried to go to, uh, there were, we had an SCG open in Oakland, and I, I actually brought Lich to it, and I was like, yeah, let's go, let's <laughs> nice. But then, uh, I, unfortunately, the Legacy fired at 9, and the Modern fired at 10. So I, I showed up at 10, <laughs> like, let's go, let's do this, and they're like, <laughs> Why are all these people playing Legacy already? Yeah. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Can I sleep up Lich in Modern? <laughs> What's that? Can I sleep up Lich in Modern? <laughs> <laughs> if only, man. If only. Would run a show there, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, Seattle. I definitely, if you can make it up there, I definitely recommend it because. I think legacy GPs are some of the most enjoyable GPs that you can go to. And not just because I'm so heavily entrenched in legacy. Uh, I just feel, you know, the magic community as a whole is really awesome, but I feel that specifically the magic legacy community is that much better. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I've actually been surprised by that. Um, I think initially when I was getting into both uh, legacy and vintage, um, I, I had this kind of fear or apprehension around it and kind of assumed that, you know, it was a more spiky format with more competitive players who, you know, were using the best of the best cards because they want the big power plays or whatever. And I, 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 I think I had a little, uh, you know, maybe some, um, you know, apprehension around that. But when I got to my first vintage tournament, I couldn't believe how welcoming and warm everyone was. It was amazing. Like, people came up to me and said, like, oh, who are you? We've never seen you before. Oh, hey, it's great to meet you. Like, hey, everybody, this is Eric. And everyone's like, hey, welcome. It was amazing. <laughs> it was so cool. And then I thought about, you know, it makes total sense, you know? If you, if there's not that, if, if you have a relatively few number of people that you can play legacy with or vintage, you know, after kind of investing so much into these different formats and these different uh, decks that people build, of course all you want to do is have other people to play with, you know? It's like you have to be welcoming because there's not that many people you can play with and all you <laughs> want to do is, like, play more vintage, not scare away people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Survival. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Build, building the community is the only way to go anyway, you know what I mean? You just want to bring more people into the game, be a good person, like, you know, Take that new player under your under your arm and like show them what's what's going on and just be a good person, man. It's just a better way to be. Yeah, I think- totally. That was definitely the experience I had. It was really cool to see, and I, I think vintage being sort of a proxy format really helps in that as well. It makes it just so much more accessible. You know, fifteen fifteen proxies like that's a lot. Like that's going to yeah. get you a, a considerable way through your deck, and it just makes it easier to play. <laughs> I think I think part of it too is like I like to play Legacy. Legacy is never going to be a Pro Tour format, and I have no as- aspirations to go on Pro Tour. So like when I play, I'm I'm not 
Um, I may be playing with some competitive players who like to play varied formats, but typically I'm playing with people who just enjoy Legacy. You know what yeah. I mean? So th- yeah. there's a lot less there's a lot less of that competitive. Um, I don't know. Uh, for lack of a better expression, I'm probably going to offend some people. Uh, there's there's a lack of that like monkeys crawling on a stack of hay, like just trying to get to the top of the mountain. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was going to offend some people. Is that, no, no, I it's didn't like even know that was an expression. I don't need to like it's it's not like a king of the mountain thing. Like great, you won like Legacy F and M. You're a champ. I don't know. Like it's, it's it seems less competitive because more people just enjoy, you know, what they're doing. Like like I don't know. Like it's I, I I'm picking up what you're putting down, Adrian. I hear you. <laughs> I was trying to think of like some sort of king, king, of the, <laughs> king of the mountain thing. I was like I don't know. Except Whatever. you got a needle in a haystack and monkey stuff on the bed all mixed in there too. <laughs> That's probably what it was. Oh my god! I don't know. More enjoyable, like less people just trying to get to the pro tour because I, I don't know the competitive. The competitive aspect is fun. Um, but if that's your only drive, it's it's hard to have a community aspect. Right. So, I don't know. I definitely hear that. Anyway. Well, kind of speaking on kind of the community aspect, uh, what would you say uh, is the future of, uh, you know, Puka trade in uh, the community overall? Would you have a vision in place? Um, yeah, actually, we want to make it a much more kind of social place. Um, you know, like right now, I think it's like a really powerful tool, and it is a place that people go to kind of exchange, almost like a marketplace sort of thing. But we we want to make it more social. I mean, it, fundamentally, this is um, a social game. Like, it, it requires multiple people to play the game and multiple people, people to trade. And, um, yeah, we want to we want to push Fuka Trade in that direction as well. Uh, so we have a, a couple ideas as to how to make... Um, the communication a little bit easier and more intuitive and common on the site. We want to make it um, a little bit more chat oriented, so it's almost like having a chat with someone, like through iChat or um, you know, like an IRC channel kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like right now it's sort of like an email paradigm where you're going to like compose a letter to someone and send it off. So, um, <laughs> yeah, just... Mary, war is hell. <laughs> <laughs> I write you for front. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, I don't know, just kind of uh, build more features that are uh, community-oriented features. Uh, we were thinking it would be cool to have, um, like, question and answer sessions every now and again, like maybe a couple times a month. Um, we just make ourselves available for questions on almost like, I think of it like a Twitch stream sort of thing, where you can navigate to the homepage of Trade and we're maybe there either on a webcam or just sitting in front of our computers answering questions as people fire them off. Um, you know, it's just kind of cool little events and ways to bring people together. Uh, we want to have, like, you know, your basic friending tools so you can, um, you know, f- maybe, like, add a bunch of people in your local area to your friends mm-hmm. list, and then you can kind of see what's happening with them. Because that's, that's something I, I, I wish I could see more of, you know? Like, when if a buddy of mine all of a sudden puts a bunch of cards on his want list, like, I want... I want to know that, you know, because, right. A, like, I want first crack at it or, like, I want, you know, I want to be the guy to initiate the trades so I can just hand him the cards, uh, which would be cool. Um, yeah. But also, like, I'm curious, like, what's he building? Like, why does he want all these expedition maps or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> why do you need 30 expedition maps? <laughs> yeah. So, so do you see it taking, like, a turn towards a social network type of thing? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we're not doing anything too drastic, but um, sure. yeah, I think we want to give people the tools and visibility on on what their friends are doing, and um, and have it be kind of a more social place you can go. 
Social network. That's dangerous. That's that's. <laughs> next question is when's the IPO? <laughs> <laughs> it is it is dangerous though. I probably check my Puka Trade page almost as much as I check my Facebook. Like if I'm at work and I have a minute, I'll like go over to my send list and see if I can send anything out. And it's it's it can be a little addictive because it's you constantly just moving cards out out of your collection. It's like, it's like oh a quick man. Text. Uh, Eric, you know, you go up for Legacy in November, you know, might as well stop by the Facebook office, pop in, ask Zuckerberg <laughs> if he wants to partner up. <laughs> in, those guys are in Palo Alto. Oh, really? Yeah, they're down here. I actually, yeah, I went to a tournament, uh, over in San Francisco, just across the bay, um, <laughs> and, uh, I was playing with a guy with a Facebook shirt on. I was like, hey, what's up, man? And apparently a bunch of the people, uh, from Facebook were there competing in the tournament. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah, they're nice folks, cool people. So is there like a, a ranking, like feedback ranking thing like there is with uh, eBay, preferred buyers or sellers and stuff? No, not yet, but um, we're actually going to be doing that uh, in the next version that we launch. That's one of the features that we're going to be adding uh, probably this fall. Um, right. Yeah, we're, we're going to do it a little bit differently than some of the sites out there. Um, we are going to have the feedback ra- rating where uh, you can rate your trading partners on um, – uh, communication and accuracy, and then um, we'll actually be ranking them on speed. Uh, so we figure it's we don't need to leave that. Service. <laughs> he doesn't tell me <laughs> yeah, how right? his feelings are. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then instead of kind of displaying that for the world to see, we're going to just show it to the individual. Um, nice. Because we want, you know, we want people to receive feedback about how they're trading. We want them to know, like, actually – Look, dude, you're you're actually below average in terms of the speed uh, that it takes you to get your cards out. You know, we we want we want to have that feedback, oh. you know, but we don't necessarily want to like penalize them or mm-hmm. make them feel bad or put them in a situation where they don't feel like they can kind of dig their way out of a of a bad f- feedback rating. And right. uh, yeah, so we're gonna try try just showing it to the individual and showing them how they stack up, um, and then just kind of hoping they do the right thing. You know. Now, is there like is there a way? Um Let's say, because I'm so I'm looking at the site here. There's like halves, wants. Uh, is there a way that I can just see what people are looking for? Because I like I acknowledge what's in my collection. Um, if I can find it under somebody's wants, oh, I guess I would just like if it's under my cards. Is is my cards wants what I want? Or, That's what like, you want. So if you're looking for stuff to send out, uh, just click yeah. on the, the big blue button in the top right hand corner that says send cards. Okay. Oh, and then that would tell me what other people are looking for. All right, yeah, like right. there's people looking for Baleful Strix and Blood Crips. And, okay. Yeah. So you oh. can use – there's a couple different ways to use the site. Like right now, you're probably looking at that uh, not auto-matched, which means that's a list of – honestly, it's about 56,000 wants. Like that stuff, those are just cards you could send right now. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you did a search in that search bar for like Baleful Strix, you could see all the different people that you could send the card to. Um, okay. Alternatively, and now uh, this is the secret. I mean, this is the really, really powerful way to use the site. Um, if you if you just import your collection, I mean, ideally, if you have it anywhere else, like in Deckbox or Tapped Out or even in an Excel spreadsheet, you can import it directly into your have list on Google Trade. What about MTG Price? Yeah, 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 definitely. And they have export tools as well. And it might mm-hmm. take, you know, you might have to do a little bit of reformatting. Maybe they have their expansions, um, you know, listed a little bit differently than ours where they're using set codes and we're writing it out in full or something. You might have to do a little bit of spreadsheet jockeying there with some find and replace. 
but for the most part, if you import that directly into your have list on Fugatrade, then that's where the real magic happens. Because then when you go to the send page, when you click that auto-matching toggle, there's that little red-green auto-matching Oh, toggle. and then it tells me what I have compared to what somebody else is looking for, and it narrows that down? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's, wow. that's, that's what's amazing. Cause then you're like, oh, sweet, here are all these amazing packages, and you just click, 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 and just send them out. It's really, that's the way to use the site. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely say that one of the biggest secrets, I don't, I don't want to call it a secret because it's pretty well known, but if you do the work in the front end, like I did, putting all your collection in, like I actually, I didn't even have an Excel spreadsheet or anything like that, I just did it by card. If you just do that, it makes, it makes matching your, your, your sends so much easier, and you also have a really good inventory of what you have. So, you know, if I find someone who has, say, a, a car that's worth a dollar, and they're in the U.S., I know that my stamp's going to cost me 40-whatever cents. You know, if I want to make that trade a little bit more than a dollar so I get a little bit more on what I'm investing, I'll go to their wants page, and I'll see all these commons and uncommons, and every 10, 15, 20 cent uncommon and common that I can send them just makes it better on my end for that trade and makes it better for them because they're getting all the stuff in one bulk package versus waiting for all these different people to send it to them. So um, having your collection on there um, accurately is like, it, it makes your trading experience so much better. I can't recommend yeah. it. I, I completely agree with that. I, I, I put in the work as well. I, I, I didn't have an Excel spreadsheet. I typed all, my whole collection in, and I went, like, not only just the rares, like the commons and uncommons, too, because, yep. you know, yep. I want to get rid of that stuff almost more yep. than I want to get rid of rares. It's just the bulk of lying around, you know? And mm-hmm. what I found is that people want tons of that stuff all the time. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times, like, even even if there's, like, one main card, like a, you know, 5 to $10 card that you want to send out in the trade, it's, like, the reason to, for making the send, they'll want a bunch of, like, 20, 25-cent cards as well that you could throw yep. in to just pay for postage. Yep, that, it works. Yeah, I, I, that's that's been my MO since day one, and it's... It's worked fantastically. Yeah. So I, I I will attest to the length of time it takes to import a collection because I sold so many cards at Providence. That's why I was on two hours of sleep Saturday. Oof. Was I had to update. I had to put my collection in all over again. So like the last time I edited the cast, the volume levels were bad and like all sorts of stuff. <laughs> but uh, the, no, the 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 integration between um, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try to go through. Uh, Exporting from one site and importing to another, because even just that alone means you don't have to you don't have to do it twice. Right. Like that's such a powerful feature. Looking at that. Yeah. Yeah. The, and the other thing I actually like about this is that you're keeping humans employed delivering mail. <laughs> yeah. That's the truth. Adrian, you're all about supporting the postal service tonight. <laughs> well, I'm all about supporting employing people. Like I'm really all right. So this is uh, I'm, I definitely want to try the integration between one site and the next. To, to to get my cards in here because I actually want to you know I set up the account because Pat was telling me about it and now I want to actually try to use it a little bit so I'm, I'm glad you uh, hung out and explained explained yeah. it to me you know this, yeah, was, this was awesome I know yeah into, absolutely uh, guys yeah I really <laughs> appreciate it thanks so much for having me on the show it's been a blast <laughs> you can use that like last ten minute segment of teaching Adrian how to use Buka Trade just just throw <laughs> it in it's like hey here's how you use it listen to this guy he has no idea how to use it. <laughs> Or what an Indiegogo is. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we do something. We do something on here, Eric. It's uh, but what we do is a scoop into top eight. So, so Eric, is there anybody that you'd like to scoop into top eight? Oh, so I scoop and they go into top eight. Yeah, yeah we're also yeah we scoop people into top eight. Oh man, oh, the legacy man. community. We're all friendly. <laughs> 
I like that. I like that. Well, I got to scoop to someone because I can't be the guy who's like, nah, I'm just going to go into top eight. <laughs> nah, man. I am the prize. If, if you want. No, I'm going to scoop I'm going to scoop to any one of you guys for having me on the show. How about that? Awesome. <laughs> how, how about you, Jerry? Who do you want to scoop in the top eight? Uh, I want to scoop in the legend of the Puka because I realized we never actually touched on that because that was one of my favorite things about Puka Trade is I'm of Irish descent, and I love that you guys got your name from a kind of pseudo combination of magic card and also Irish folklore. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm not familiar with that part of the Irish folklore, though. Nope. So I guess that's a that's a. Go to Wikipedia, a, people. Look up pukas. Is that a private joke? You need to have red hair or something. To no. Know? Okay. <laughs> Wikipedia is a good place to start on that one. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll I'll do that. Um, it's like a leprechaun, you? but cooler. <laughs> how about you, Pat? Who do you want to scoop in the top eight? Um, I'm going to scoop in Eric for coming on the cast, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for uh, for creating Puka Trade. Like I said, if it wasn't for you guys, I probably wouldn't be playing Magic right now. So, yeah, definitely scooping in Eric and the whole Puka Trade crew. I feel like they have uh, the gamer's best interest in heart, so definitely scooping them in. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for the positive feedback. Seriously, that keeps me going. Everybody loves, everybody on the team loves hearing stuff like that. And I think for me, I want to, I'm going to start by, I want to scoop in, uh, Conrad anyway for his email and I'm going to try to figure out something we can do as far as uh, you know shit first I'll yeah, scoop on because anybody listening in New Zealand that's a fucking hike um, it, like, you can't and, hike uh, there Adrian it doesn't work right right it's an uh, island but I, I do want to try to yeah but I do want to try to figure out a way where, um, you know, I, I definitely don't want to exclude people. So I want to try to figure out something where uh, we're going to figure out something where, you know, people in New Zealand don't have to ship their comments overseas. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll figure something out. We'll have an update. And, and uh, I also want to scoop in Ian, Ian McCown. I, I ran into him down at Providence and uh, and Pat and Liam. Oh, yeah. Pat brought, Pat brought his boy down there. Yeah, I brought my little three-year-old down at GP Providence. And uh, he was he was wild. He was having a blast. So, and you know what? I kind of felt bad too. Uh, like you ever you ever ask a question and it's at the wrong time. You know, <laughs> like All the I. Time. So so I went down to GP Providence and uh, and I and I ran into KYT and I'm like, oh, how you doing? And like he just finished round three or something. He's like, I just lost that round. And I'm like, oh man, like I I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> you know, like it was one of those like, ooh. Um, but like he was. He's really cool, really cool guy. Anyway, and uh, and who else? Brent for sitting down and playing with me. And then there was a kid that was actually just put together. Oops, all spells. Oh, nice. I'm like, yeah, and he wanted, so he wanted to play. And I'm like, sure. I'm like, it's going to come down to do I have force of will or not? But we'll play. <laughs> and uh, so we played, and I ended up like he he kind of caught it when like his narcomibas came into play, and with the triggers on the stack, I used Deathrite Shaman to eat the Angel of Glory's rise. Like he's starting to see some of the things that make the deck a little fragile, but it, you know, hopefully he's uh, picks them up and and uh, practices with it. And there was a kid that actually I traded with too, who was trying to put together ad nauseum tendrils and traded me a grizzle brand for some of the pieces to it. Nice. And um, they were really cool guys. Yeah, I always like to see people who want to kind of get into Legacy and play it. So. There's a bunch of scoops in the top eight, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it doesn't have to be only one. So if you want to scoop in uh, a wife or <laughs> a spouse, I don't know. But um, I'm yeah. going to scoop to just the color blue. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, doesn't everybody scoop to the color blue? <laughs> uh, actually, side note, I think I'm building my first ever non-blue legacy deck, like, in the history of Magic, at least my Magic career. I think I'm going to put together uh, Maverick. 
So you're taking off your training wheels, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of tired of those free wins. I kind of want to earn one for once. <laughs> uh, so, um, wow, I guess that's uh, I guess that's everything. Awesome. That's all pretty good. Well, I guess until next time, everybody uh, enjoy. Hopefully, this will come out Monday, and hopefully, uh, we helped you Monday go by a little bit easier, and you enjoy your week. Yeah. yeah, likewise. Again, thanks again, guys. It was awesome being on the show. Thanks for joining. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, hopefully, talk to you guys soon when you have the next major update. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, keep me posted. Uh, I'll plan to kind of uh, uh, put a tweet out or something, hit up social media and stuff when you guys publish. Um, and oh, then you know, that's actually that's actually a really good point and a really good question that I didn't even frickin' ask, <laughs> Eric. How how can people find you on social media? Oh yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Just uh, yeah, hit us up at Puka Trade is our Twitter handle, and Puka is for, of course spelled uh, P-U-C-A in the word trade uh, dot com. And uh, yeah, we we got the whole Facebook thing going to Google Plus, anywhere you would expect to find us, we're there. Uh, but yeah, stop by and say hi. Awesome stuff. So then, I guess signing off. All right. Uh, see everybody, or I don't know, won't see anybody, but everybody gets to hear us next week if they feel like it. And we'll, we'll- <laughs> You guys be at a bunch of duels in Lincoln on Saturday, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Uh, probably not. No. Probably not. No, I get I get my son Friday night into Saturday. Okay. And like he doesn't like magic anymore. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's when you disown him. <laughs> it's, um. Okay. No. Jerry, you sound like That's a bunch of monkeys climbing on a hay. Oh, you're right. You're so right. Sound like a bunch of caterpillars well, climbing I, on soccer balls. I, I was, I was trying. I was trying. I was trying to think about it. Like, yeah, I don't think I, I want to be explaining a bad analogy anymore. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, uh, everybody, enjoy your week, and we'll see you next time. I sold I sold fucking blood moons for like, and of course they're higher, but like they were buying them for I they bought my chronicles once for thirty six. Wow! Like I I I sold them three chronicles blood moons and an eighth edition blood moon and a Liliana and got a Tarmogoy for Force of Will and gave them thirty bucks. Jesus! <laughs> like that's pretty fucking good. That's pretty good. You know, and, and then I went back and I sold them like I'm like, all right, here, go through my shit. So I sold them like four heritage druids. I sold them snapcaster mages. I sold them. I, I don't even know if they might have bought the path to exiles. They bought spell snares for five bucks each. Yeah, that's what they're going for. They, they, yeah, they they bought my stoneforge mystics. I'm like, because they just say a price. I'm like, yeah, take it. Yeah, <laughs> take did you, it. Did you see the the numbers for the GP, like the tennis numbers? Oh, that's the other thing I wanted to talk about for the um, the numbers for the oh oh. The attendance for the Providence one? No, what yeah, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, for the Providence GP. It was just over a 1,000. I thought that was pretty weak. Um, yeah. for standard, I think that... That's uh, pretty weak for a GP, man. It's it's hard for me to gauge it because it's standard. There's a lot of standard GPs, but, like, you see a legacy one, they're, like, 3,000 people, but there's yeah. only one legacy one. So, like, people will travel from overseas for that shit. Yeah. You know, but even... even fuck it. I'll, I'll extend some of the song because I... 
um, did you guys, did you notice Copenhagen, the top deck was Merfolk? I yeah, did I saw that. that. People were freaking yep. out about that. So there was no elf deck. I noticed this. There was no elf deck. Merfolk takes first and fourth, and Curse Catcher hasn't jumped yet. And it was already, like, it was ten bucks before. You know what I mean? Now. Yeah. I noticed that. People were saying that on Twitter, how they're like, why hasn't all the Merfolk stuff spikes? I've been waiting to see Aethervile go up. I've been wait- I'm like, huh, this is kind of interesting. What's Because for some reason, you know, Copenhagen, um, what the hell did Copenhagen do anyway? Um, Copenhagen, Jund was third. But like, even, what was the other one? Was it was it Charlotte? Charlotte, I don't even think, had a Tarmogoyf in top eight. Really? Uh, I remember hearing something about that too, yeah. And it looks like Scapeshift was second, but I don't, uh, no Tarmogoyf there. And oh. then, uh, and then Jund was in top four with more Merfolk. And, like, I, I'm telling you, I've been loving Merfolk for a while, and it's good to see it doing something, even if it's in a format I don't play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah modern's crazy, but, yeah, good to see Merfolk in and some love. Yeah, and I was watching the guy play it, too. Uh, it, like, I watched the, the final match, Merfolk against Scapeshift, and he had, like, spreading seas on Valakut, and I'm like, actually, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brutal. Yep. Uh. Um it's a pretty wild stuff. Yeah. I do got to go, though, guys. I uh, got to wrap up some apartment stuff. But oh, yeah. So what's going on with that? Did you sign a lease, you yep. said earlier? Signed a lease today. No, where oh, you did? It? Yeah, it's in uh, Lower Alston, uh, Brighton border. Um, so that was the other thing I wanted to mention to you. I ran into Ian down in Providence. Oh, nice. And and, and I, that's why I was scooping him in the top eight. I was talking to him for a while, and he's like, yeah, he said he knows Dan and he knows Ara. Like they they got him into Legacy because they were kind of giving him some cards and stuff. He's like, I, I, he's like they're from my area. I play with them. I know Dan and I know Ara, and I'm still yet to meet Jerry. <laughs> uh, I really need to meet him. <laughs> yeah, he's a cool guy. He's awesome. a cool guy. But anyway, I yeah. wanted to mention that to you too. Uh, yeah. So, Get him up. All right, well, you wrap up your apartment stuff and yep. become a grown-ass man. Grown-ass man. <laughs> um, Pat, I'll see you in Lincoln on Sunday. Absolutely, my man. On Saturday. Is it, wait. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, why Sunday? Okay. Yeah. Is, it? is it Saturday or Sunday? When is it? It's Saturday. I'll see you. All right, I'll see you on Saturday. <laughs> All right, we're sure it's Saturday? If it's Sunday, I'll go. Shit. <laughs> All right, Jerry, take it easy, buddy. All right, see you guys. Later. Yeah.